This morning we're continuing the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're, we're just getting to the, like literally the halfway point now. Um, and before we get into our passage this morning that Victoria read for us, I want to uh, just pause for a wee second and recap um, and, and just kind of hopefully have a bit of a, a guidance on, on where we've come from and where we're going. Um, so one thing we need to remember is that see in your Bible, having chapter and verse breakdowns is really, really helpful for uh, referencing stuff and for finding things and for, for knowing what certain passages say. But the chapter and verse breakdowns weren't there originally. So it wasn't like when Peter and Paul were writing letters to those churches, they were like, you know, chapter one, verse one, you know, here we go. It was just, it was just a letter. In the same way, uh, when Matthew wrote his gospel, it wasn't like this. It wasn't broken down into chapter and verses. Um, and and the, the reason I'm saying this is um, we need to remember that what we're studying, even though we're taking uh, just the three chapters of, of the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, it was all one sermon. So what we're studying over three months, Jesus delivered in, in one afternoon, right? Um, I don't know how long it was. I don't know how long he was out there preaching. But it was all in one go. And we need to bear that in mind because sometimes I think that we can go, right, well, I'll get this bit about anger, right? I'll check that off. And then I'll get this bit about marriage, right? And I'll check that off. Or I'll get this bit about the Lord's Prayer and check that off. And it just can become this thing that's just a checkbox, a checkbox exercise rather than uh, seeing this picture that Jesus is painting for us of, of this thing called the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. So, um, Tim, can you throw that slide up on the screen, the, ne the next one? I hope you can see this. Um, this is kind of a if this doesn't, if you can't, can everyone see that okay? Does that make sense? Maybe you need glasses. Uh, this is kind of um, a rough overview of, of this, the whole Sermon on the Mount. So we started, we started uh, at the very beginning. Uh, it's, a, it's supposed to, that's a mountain, by the way. This took me like three hours to make. I hope you're, no, seriously, three hours. I hope you're proud of it. I hope, I hope you're pleased with it. Um, I'm proud of it. Um, so we started with... Um, we started with Jesus, he ascends the mountain, right? Remember, he, he goes up the mountain, he sits down, he opens his mouth and he begins to teach. And that was Jesus taking on the position of authority. So he's the one who, who uh, has authority to teach. He opens his mouth, taking on the posture of a prophet. Uh, he, he's able to speak with important. He's got something really important to say. And then we see uh, that Jesus starts to uh, describing what the kingdom of God is like. And he does this uh, by, by describing what the people of the kingdom are like. And we looked at the Beatitudes, these eight statements of, of what uh, the people are like who, who receive the kingdom, the people who enter the kingdom. So, so people who are, are poor in spirit, who, who know their need of God, and people who uh, mourn over their sin, and people who hunger and thirst for, for a true right standing with God, and, and people who are meek, and people who are merciful, and people who are peacemakers, and, 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 and actually people who are persecuted because they love Jesus. These are the kinds, these are what the people of the kingdom of God are like. And then he moves on into this, this next section, this main section. You'll see there's like three parts to this, the greater righteousness section. This deeper righteousness that Jesus goes after. And you'll see he, he does this. We've, we've looked at these six words. So he describes this, this greater righteousness that we need. He says, listen, you need to have an exceeding righteousness, a deep righteousness. You're, you're right standing before God. That's what righteousness means. You're right standing before God. That, that needs to be deeper than just being good living, right? It's deeper than just uh, kind of religion. Um, and he uses these six words, these six examples of of, of what that looks like and, and he, uh, so they are uh, anger and lust and marriage and, and, and keeping your word and then Nick walked us through last week uh, through retaliation or not retaliating and loving your enemies. And now in our passage today um, we've kind of reached the top of the mountain and the center of the center point of Jesus' sermon is 
righteousness in our devotion to God. This is what he's talking about, righteousness in our devotion to God. This is, it, it, it's, a, it's, amazing, it's an amazingly crafted piece of, 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 um, of writing, the way Jesus has structured this whole thing, that right at the center of everything he's saying is, is, is that, that in our devotion to God, we need to be righteous. We don't need to be hypocrites. And we're going to see this today. Um, it's not just about uh, our, our obedience to God and, and, and the things we do. It's about the way we do them. And he gives these three examples. He gives a giving to the needy, prayer, and, um, and fasting. And we're going to look at these week by week. So this, that's where we are this morning. Uh, we're at the top of the mountain. Where we're just about to hit the top of the mountain next week um, uh, in, this, in this, this center section. Um, if, that's, if you think that's helpful, um, I, can, I can give you that slide because we're going to probably come back to that a couple more times before we reach the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I think it's just helpful to how we map, you know, to know where we're going. So if that's helpful, let me know and I can email it to you or whatever. Uh, all right, I'm going to pray and uh, ask for God's help because we need it. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, thank you for your words of wisdom that, that aren't just words of wisdom. They're like, as John uh, said, that, that this is your word that, that cuts deep. Um, Lord, thank you that when you, you cut us open, that uh, you do that so that you can heal us, so you can expose the sickness. Uh, Lord, help us to just understand what you're trying to say to us this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be hypocritical, that we would just come to church for the wrong reasons. Lord, help us to see you, help us to hear you this morning, um, and help me to be faithful to, to the words that you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, okay, one of my favorite subjects is um, Manchester United, but this is slightly related to him. On the 24th of March last year, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic signed for uh, LA Galaxy. It was a pretty big story in the world of football at the time, and because uh, he was a really lucrative deal, and he was 36 at the time, and he had just come back from injury and, and all this kind of stuff, and he was joining probably America's most famous uh, football team, soccer team. And when he joined the club, he announced it. He took out a full page ad in the, a full spread, like a double page ad in the LA Times, the Los Angeles Times. And uh, it, Tim, have we got the slide? And it, this is what it was. It was, you can't, probably can't read it, but it was basically just a full sp spread letter that just said, Dear Los Angeles, you're welcome. Signed, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Now, I think that's pretty cool. But also, I understand why a lot of people think it's pretty arrogant. Because that's some next level bragging, isn't it, right? So um, if you're going to do something like that, announce your arrival by just saying you're welcome, uh, you need to be able to back that up. You need to have the goods to back it up. Now, he did have the goods to back it up because he's Latin, he's amazing. He scored 22 goals in his first six months there. But anyway. Um, but last night we were watching uh, Ninja Warrior. You know Ninja Warrior? Anyone watch that? I love it. Um, <laughs> I mostly love the people that, that I lo mostly love the people that fall in. They're the you know the people that can't make it. But what happens if you watch that show is you see the people that come on they brag and they take their shirt off and you know they're like I'm going to be great at this. They're almost always the people that can't complete the course. Have you ever noticed that? The ones who are giving it all the chat, they're the ones who 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 can't do it. Um, and. And the ones who are just kind of quiet, you know, and unassuming or just turn up in normal shorts and t-shirt, they're usually really, really good. Have you, I don't know if you've noticed that. But the point is, there's kind of something within us all that's, that's in there. We're on this spectrum. Most of us probably aren't Zlatan level of bragging. 
Um, but most of us probably aren't just the you know, quiet and unassuming. We probably all have areas of our lives that we like to brag about, that we like to show off. I know I definitely do. You probably noticed that about me. I was going to brag that I once ran a leg of the marathon. <laughs> like, that's a brag. Uh, wow. Well. Um, but it could be anything. Maybe, you're, maybe where you feel that you want to show off is to do with your intelligence or your job. Or, or, or maybe you like buy a really nice car so that people see that you're successful in life. Or uh, one of my favorite ones is when, like, you see when parents get together and they brag about their kids. So, like, oh, my baby can put two blocks together. Oh, yeah, well, mine can do four. Like that kind of thing. You're like, oh yeah, well she started walking whenever she was like two months old or something. Like this kind of thing is very, very, very funny. But what about when it comes to our spiritual life? What about when it comes to uh, the things that we do because we love Jesus? Are we prone to bragging then? So I want to be careful when I use the phrase spiritual life because I don't want to I don't, want to, I don't want us to think that we separate our lives into like spiritual aspects and, and non-spiritual aspects because that's not how life works. And Jesus never uses that kind of language. Um, it's, it's all spiritual. Like if we love Jesus, then all of our life is worship, okay? I want to be really, really clear about that. But, but, but what I'm talking about is the things that you do in your life that are a direct result of you being a Christian. So things like being part of a church, things like um, serving the poor, things like... Um, coming to worship services, all these kinds of things that we do that are a direct result of us being a Christian. Uh, that's what I'm kind of calling our spiritual life. What, what about these parts of our lives? Because this is what Jesus begins to talk about when he begins to talk about our, greatest, greater, our greater um, righteousness in relation to our devotion to God. He's talking, about, uh, he's talking about these things that we do that are related to our relationship with him. And what Jesus does here is he introduces this principle uh, in verse 1, in verse 1 of chapter 6. So just keep your Bibles open. And then uh, through, from verses 2 to 18, he, he, he gives these three principles of how this, this, practice, this principle is played out, or examples of that. So what we're going to do is we're first going to look at the principle. And then after that, we're going to look at the first practice, which is given to the needy. And then Thomas will do prayer. And then after that, I'm going to do fasting the week after next. So, firstly then, the principle. The principle that Jesus introduces here uh, in uh, in verse 1 of chapter 6 is this. That our devotion to God should not be motivated by the praise of other people. Okay? Uh, So maybe you want to, if you're taking notes, write that down. Our devotion to God should not be motivated by the praise of other people. Have a look at what he says. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So notice how he starts here. He says, beware, right? Watch out, look out, watch your step. There's, there's a danger in the kind of behavior that I'm about to describe for you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, beware of this. So right from the beginning, we know that, that what we're looking at today is something that we need to be careful about. Um, it's almost as if Jesus assumes that, that, that all of us are going to be prone to this because he knows human nature, right? He knows what caused the fall in the first place was pride. And this thing that, that we need to look out for is what he says, practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, when Jesus says practicing your righteousness, 
That's kind of a, the, the, the Bible way of saying, uh, talking about the things that we do because we're followers of Jesus. It's about, it's about the outworking of our right standing with God. So if you think of righteousness as our right standing with God, so if we're, you're a Christian, then you're, you're in right standing with God, and, and, and the practice in your righteousness is, is how you live that out. So the, the, as I said earlier, those things you do that are a result of you being a Christian. And Jesus when he's talking about these things, and he's talking about practicing our righteousness, he's concerned with our hearts. Haven't we seen this the whole way through the Sermon on the Mount so far? That Jesus is going after our hearts. He's concerned with, with what's going on, on the inside. He doesn't seem to have too much concern about what we do, but more concerned about why we do it. And the greater righteousness of the kingdom is primarily about what's going on in our hearts. What's your motivation? And Jesus makes it clear that, that we shouldn't do these things just to be seen by other people, right? So we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't turn up to the, the, the prayer gathering just so the other people at the prayer gathering will, will see that we're there and think that we, we're super holy or that we're really good at praying. Or, or we, don't, we, don't, um, you know, we don't help a homeless person with food and, and, and money and clothes just so that people, just so we can like post a picture on Instagram and say, hey, look, I helped this homeless person. That's not why we do those things. And actually, I think that the temptation to be self-centered, the, te- the te- temptation to boast and to brag uh, about our, our spiritual life and, and the things we do because we love Jesus is probably... Uh, well, maybe not more so, but it's, it's certainly easier to do that in the social media age than it has, ever has been, right? Like we spend so many hours of our day looking at our phone screens and looking at what other people post. And actually, if we're honest, probably wishing that people would like more of what we post. Or we get jealous that they're posting better pictures of us or that their life looks better than ours. We quite literally spend hours and hours training ourselves to believe that the things that have most significance in our lives are the things that get the most likes or retweets. Those are the things that, that have most significance to us. The things that get the biggest audience, the things that, that get the most approval from people. The significance of our lives has been reduced to uh, the number of wee stupid red hearts on a screen. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, that stuff's meaningless. Don't live your life to impress other people. Don't do the things that Jesus tells you to do so that people will think that you're really good at doing what Jesus tells you to do. Don't follow Jesus just so people will see that you follow Jesus. But yet, is this a different message than Jesus said before? Because, uh, well, we need to clarify this. Jesus isn't saying, don't let people see your righteousness. He's not saying, don't let people see your good deeds. Because remember what he said earlier when we looked at, when we looked at the salt and light. In chapter 5 and verse 16, this is what he says. He says, um, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father as in heaven. So earlier on in the same sermon, remember, it's all the same message in the same day, in the same time, Jesus is saying, he says, let people see your good works. And then uh, later on he says, uh, don't do it so that people will see it. So we don't hide our good works. We're we're, we're not like someone who puts a a, a basket over the light. Jesus actually says we're to be like a city on a hill that people see the lights. So what's going on? Is, is Jesus contradicting himself? When the answer is obviously no. Jesus never contradicts himself. And, and, and by the way, just in case you're wondering, the Bible never contradicts itself, no matter what people will tell you. 
Jesus is saying that we should let other people see our acts of righteousness, but being seen by people shouldn't be our motivation. Let me say that again. We should let other people see our acts of righteousness, but being seen by people should not be our motivation. You see, the, the goal for disciples, us as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, the goal is to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Remember what Nick said last week in the end of chapter 5, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That is not that we can reach some unachievable standard. Of course not. We're not, we're not going to become God. But that's our goal is to, 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 live, to live like Him. And if our goal is to be perfect, just like our Father is perfect, then there's only one opinion that matters, and that's God's, right? One commentator says that the disciples' character is to be modeled on God's character, and the disciples' performance is to be done for the Father's approval. And that just means that devotion to God in the kingdom of God is done for the right reasons. It's devotion for the right reason. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 1, Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Because if I'm trying to please people, then I'm not a servant of Christ. So Paul actually says, if I'm actually trying to please people, I'm, I can't be faithful to Jesus. You can't faithfully serve Jesus if your motivation is to win people's approval. You're just missing the point. So let me, let me challenge you here this morning. Whose approval do you seek? Genuinely, ask yourself that question. Uh, consider that. Uh, are, you trying to please, are you trying to please other people to get them to think highly of you? Or are you trying to please your heavenly father? Is that your primary concern? Because here's the truth, and Jesus makes this clear. You will get what you want. You will get exactly what you want. Jesus says, uh, he says, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. If all you want is the praise of other people, that's all you're going to get. That's what Jesus is saying. If all you want is the praise of other people, that's exactly what you're going to get. And also, uh, I, want to, I want to be really honest with you guys. This, this, really, this really hit me hard this week. I, felt, I almost felt like I didn't want to preach it. Because uh, this is something I'm guilty of all the time. This is a huge temptation for me is, is wanting people to think more highly of myself and, or, or more highly of me. I want people to think that I'm more spiritual and holy than I am. And I just want you to know that I'm not, I'm not trying to call you to, to something that, 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 that I don't feel. I want to be honest with you because it applies to me. It really, really does. So whose approval are we seeking? And how do we live this principle out? How do, we, how do we get that balance right? Because on one hand, we are supposed to let people see our good works. On the other hand, uh, maybe, maybe people shouldn't see our good works. What is Jesus getting at here? Someone summed it up this way, and I think this is really helpful. If you're tempted to show it, hide it. And if you're tempted to hide it, show it. Let me say that again. If you're tempted to hide it, show it. And if you're tempted to show it, hide it. I think I said them the opposite way around both times, but you get the point. And both of these temptations, are, it's the same root. It's just self-centeredness, right? It's self-focused. So usually if you're tempted to hide your faith, why do you do that? Why are you tempted to hide your faith? Well, it's because you're ashamed, right? Or, or because you, want, you don't want people to think badly of you. You don't want people to think, well, he's the, here's the weird one. Or even worse, even worse in the culture we live in, you have outdated and old-fashioned views. You're homophobic. You're whatever. 
You're misogynistic or, or whatever, I don't know, whatever, whatever, you apply your own thing that people say to you. And usually when we're tempted to hide our faith, it's because we're ashamed and we, want people to, we don't want people to think less of us. And usually when we're tempted to show off, it's because we want people to think more highly of us. It's the same thing. We want, we want people to see, uh, we want people to see just how good we are at being a Christian. So it's just, it's just showing off in two different ways, isn't it? It's just playing up to the crowd. In one, one, maybe in one place you're playing up to one crowd and in another place you're playing up to another crowd. So if, if you're tempted to, to hide your faith, you need to show it. And if you're tempted to show your faith, you probably need to hide that. And when we live, uh, well, let me just say this. First of all, the answer to both of these is that we need to take the focus off ourselves and put our focus on Jesus. Take the focus of ourselves and keep it firmly on Jesus where it belongs. And if we do this, if we live our lives like this, and we're going to come back to this in more detail in a couple of minutes. If we live our lives like this, it won't matter what people think of us. Not in any real way anyway. All that will matter to us is that we're obeying God because we love him. And so (laughs) the amazing thing is you won't feel the need to use fancy theological language in your Bible discussion or in your prayer times and and you'll be able to just simply, you know, speak from the heart and just be honest. And on the other side of the coin, you won't be afraid to, to, to pray out loud in the group because your prayer is to your Heavenly Father. It's not it's not to the other people in the room. And when we're with our missional communities, are we real with each other? Are we honest with each other? Just chatting to Liam yesterday about, we, we had the men's prayer breakfast yesterday and he was just encouraged by just being real and honest with one another. And it's so good to hear that because so often when we get together, we do that, you know, it's like a job interview. What's your greatest weakness? Oh, well, I work too hard. Oh yeah, I'm just really struggling with uh, fitting in all my prayer times this week. No, that's not, that's not what we should do. We need to be real about our temptations and our weaknesses and our failures. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Not, not, not trying to be holy so that other people will think we're holy. And so when our goal in life is to please God, not other people, we can just live in freedom, can't we? And it's an amazing thing. Just walk in the freedom. So that's, that's the principle. This is the, that's the principle that Jesus is, is outlining over the rest of, of this section of the Sermon on the Mount. The principle that our devotion to God should not be motivated by other people. That's the principle. And then Jesus goes into these three examples, and we're going to look at the first one today. And his first, uh, his first practice of this principle, so we have practice and principle, pr- principle and practice. His first practice of this principle is the example of um, giving to the needy. So the practice of self-forgetful generosity with our finances. Self-forgetful generosity with our finances. And I'll explain what I mean by that. But let's read uh, verses two to four again. Uh, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So you can already see that principle coming into play there. Don't do it just to be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Again, that principle coming into play. You're not going to get a reward from God. You'll get what you want. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, I'm just going to have a drink. Uh, So Jesus has outlined this principle, and then he applies it to this area of our lives. And what he's saying is, are we motivated to be generous 
because we want to be devoted to God or we are devoted to God or because we want to be known as being generous, right? Do we want to be generous because uh, we want to be devoted to God or because we want to be known as being generous? But notice what he says. He says, when you give. He doesn't say, if you give. He doesn't say, maybe you give. He says, when you give. So Jesus assumes that, that giving is just a normal part of Christian life. That generosity is just something that you will have if you love Jesus. That is just part of it. That you will want to give to those in need. This isn't an optional extra. And we need to be really clear, clear about that. If you love Jesus, you will give. That's just how it is. You be generous with your time and your money and your home and your resources and all those things. You're going to be a generous person. You're going to give to those in need because you love Jesus. But again, and, and the reason he probably doesn't spend too much time in that is because he assumes that we're going to be giving. And actually, these three examples that he uses, giving and prayer and fasting, they're kind of like three pillars of the Jewish faith, three pillars back then. Um, and, and what uh, what is translated in our Bible as, as giving to the needy is sometimes um, sometimes an old-fashioned word is almsgiving. And that's literally what it is. It's just giving to those in need. But he goes after our motivation. He's like, I'm going after your heart here. We need to have this greater righteousness in our devotion to God. So he says, don't sound a trumpet when you give. Now, <laughs> that's, I think that's a bit weird. And yeah. Like, imagine if we were passing around the plate and it gets to you and you're like, hang on a second, da, 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 you know, drop your money in. Like, that'd be absurd. But in the olden days, the days of yore, um, in, in Jesus' time, this wasn't such a strange thing. So scholars kind of have, there's a couple of different uh, opinions on this. One of them is that Jesus is kind of making fun or, or like he's, it's almost like he's making, a, he's making a caricature of the people who were proud of their giving. And um, he's, he's actually, um, I don't have time to explain it, but he's actually going after the Pharisees and scribes again here. Um, but so, so it's kind of like making a caricature of them. He's saying, don't blow your own horn. Don't, don't sound your own trumpet, you know? Don't blow your own trumpet. And the other thing is it could be quite literal because there's evidence that says that, that actually that the, 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 the trumpets of the temple would sound when there was an urgent need. So, you know, somebody turns up to the temple and they're refugees or, or they're in, in desperate need and they sound the trumpets of the temple. And what I would do, uh, because I want people to see that I'm going to give to those in need, is I'll close down my, my, my market stall and I'll, I'll hitch up my, my skirts and I'll run as quick as I can to the temple. And everyone's going to see me running up to the temple because the trumpets down there are going to go, wow, he's going to give. He's going to give to that urgent need. And either way, whichever one of those is true, whether it's metaphorical or whether it's literal, the principle's the same, isn't it? We should be generous people who give because we're devoted to God, not because we want other people to see that we're generous. Don't give for the wrong reasons. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't flash the cash. I didn't mean to say that. That's horrible. Don't flash your cash just so that people will see that you're really good at giving. It's like those, uh, like you know the giant checks you get for, have you ever seen The Office whenever... Um, Michael, uh, makes up the, Michael Scott makes up the charity and then uh, they raise $500 but it costs $250 to get the giant check printed and he does it anyway just because he wants people to see him with the giant check. It's like that. There's no giant checks in the kingdom of God. That's not how giving works. Christians don't give like this. We don't publicize our generosity. Jesus says that's what the hypocrites do. Now when Jesus says hypocrites, 
it has a wee bit of a different meaning than, than, uh, than we think of hypocrites in our modern English understanding of the word. So in Jesus' time, in the ancient uh, Greek culture, the hypocrites were actors, right? So anybody who studied drama or anything like that, Leanne, you would know, but there's, they had these two masks, and they have a name. I don't know what they're called, sock and something, or like, I don't know. Anyway, one, one is the smiley face, and one's the, the, the sad face. So you wore the smiley face if you were the comedy part, and you would wear the, the grumpy face if, if it was a tragedy, and that's how people would know what was going on. So, so for Jesus, when he says hypocrite, a hypocrite is a mask wearer, somebody that wears a mask. They hide reality. Their outward appearance is different to what was going on underneath. So for us, a hypocrite is somebody that says one thing and does the opposite. For Jesus, a hypocrite is, is somebody that hides the reality of what's going on underneath. Subtle difference, but it makes, a, lot, it makes a, a big point. A hypocrite was somebody who presented a different version of themselves on a stage for applause. And that's what he's saying to the people who are running to the temple at the sound of the trumpets. He's saying, you guys are actors on a stage and you're doing it for applause. And so the hypocrites were given to the needy and they were looking like they were being really generous and given of themselves. But actually, they were doing it for the admiration and applause of other people. It looks like you're giving something when actually you're buying something, right? You're actually, you're actually purchasing something that you really want. And, and it looks like you're freely generous with your money, but what you're actually doing is you're buying the approval of others. And what God intends to be charity, and charity is an act of sacrificial love, what you're actually doing is turn that into, you're turning that into a financial transaction. Look at me, I'm giving. And you're actually, what you're, pay, you're paying for people's applause. You're paying for people's approval. Jesus actually uses this financial language. At the end of verse two, he says, um, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And that word received, that in the original language, that, that is the same words that's used for like when a bill is stamped, paid in full. That's what he's saying. And it's subtle because we don't really see it in our English language, but he's saying, you guys have turned charity into a financial transaction. And that's abhorrent to God. That's not what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is about freely given to those in need. You're actually, you're, actually, um, you're actually taking advantage of the people in need to get what you want. And so you should, yes, you should give, but you should give freely and abundantly and generously and don't do it in this way. But Jesus doesn't stop it like, don't do it this way. Here's how not to give. He actually goes on to talk about how we should give. And he uses another analogy here, doesn't he? He says, uh, don't let, um, he says in uh, verse three, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So there's a sense in which that not only should we not let other people see our given, we, there's a sense in which it's like we shouldn't even let our, ourselves see our given. Our, our given should be so generous and so abundant, we're not really worrying about how much we're given. We're just given. We're just self-given and sacrificially given all the time. He's, he's talking about, he's talking about uh, that we're not too calculating. We shouldn't be self, self-conscious about our giving. It should just flow freely out of us in the same way that Jesus gave freely to us, right? So you might do a really good job of, of not showing off your giving to other people, but at the same time you might be sitting at home obsessing about how much money you have left in the bank because you've given, uh, you've given to someone in need. Or you might be sitting, you know, looking at your bank statement going, man, I, good job me, I gave a lot. I gave a lot, and you know what? No one's ever going to know about that. How good am I? 
That's what he's talking about here. Don't let that happen. Guard against this. Beware. Like a, a few years ago, um, I apologize if this sounds like I am boasting. I really just want to give the example of, anyway, I could see how it could be misconstrued. So I just want to put that out there in the front. A few years ago, uh, I remember giving someone in need the last, 20, the, the last 20 quid in my bank account. Literally took the last 20 quid and gave it to him. And uh, the person I gave it to, they didn't know it was my last 20 quid. No one knew. And I remember in that moment thinking, man, that's a really cool thing that I just did. I so like Jesus. I gave my last 20 quid. And of course, the motivation here is, is wrong. That, that pride creeps in. There's no, there's no limit to our own self-centeredness. And Jesus warns us against it. John Stott, he says this. He says, self-centeredness belongs to the old life. The new life in Christ is one of uncalculating generosity. I love that, uncalculating generosity. I'm not gonna make sure there's enough money there. I'm not gonna make sure it's this percentage. I'm just gonna give to those who need it. I'm gonna give to the church. I'm gonna gonna give to those in need. And Jesus says, when we give this way, our giving will be in secret. But there's one thing we need to be careful of about this. Just because our our giving is secret uh, doesn't mean that we shouldn't have accountability for it, okay? Um, So so think of the danger there of what my, the the, the situation I described about me is that there's no accountability for that and all of a sudden I take pride in that. Or the other option is if there's no accountability that you could just go, well, no one knows about this so I'll just not be generous with my money. Or just, you might just give meagerly or infrequently or something. Um, can I just say, if, if you struggle with being generous, then get accountability for that. Chat to someone in your MC. Just say, hey, uh, it's part of being real and honest, right? I, I really struggle with this generosity thing. Can you, can you hold me to account? And that's not prideful, um, unless you're, saying, you're just doing that just so they'll think you give lots. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? Check, get accountability. Get someone from your core or your MC to, to hold your account. Uh, one teacher says that, that um, when Jesus says that our giving should be secret, he's not trying to decrease accountability, he's trying to increase humility. It's not an excuse to not give just because no one knows how much you're giving. And so your, your giving should be self-forgetful. That's what I mean. We, we give sacrificially. We give generously, we give joyfully, we give willingly, and then we move on. We forget about it. It's done. It's given to the glory of God. And so when we give, um, our motivation shouldn't be the praise of other people, right? It, should be, uh, it shouldn't be thinking highly of ourselves. It should be the sacrificial generosity because that's the kind of generous God is towards us. Kingdom giving is self-forgetful financial generosity. That's a bit of a mouthful, but it makes sense. So just as we kind of start to finish up here, how do we do this? How can we give in in self-forgetful ways? Well, firstly, we need to remember that nothing that we have actually is ours. Nothing I have belongs to me. Everything we have comes from God. All good, all good things come from God. So whether you think, well, I worked really hard at university to get this job that I'm in. Well, who gave you the brains and the finances to get the job that you worked really hard for? Maybe it's, it's the business you own. Maybe it's your education. Whatever it is, none of that stuff is yours. This is, what, this is what 1 Corinthians 4 says. What do you have that you did not receive? In other words, 
What do you actually own that, you, that, that, that God didn't give to you? Everything you have, God has given to you. And so we, we tend to think of giving in the wrong way. We think of it as like, well, this is mine and I'm going to give a little bit of that. And that's not the way it's doing. Uh, you know, someone I know says that, um, that when, we're, when we're given, we're actually just giving back to God what he has given to us in the first place. Romans 11, Paul's talking about the majesty and the character of God, and this is what he says. Who has, given, who, has, who has given as gift to him that he might be repaid? Who has given as a gift to him that he might be repaid? It's this reminder that nobody ultimately gives anything to God. I mean, there's nothing I have that I can go, hey God, do you want some of this? No. It's all his in the first place. And so we need to reorder our thinking this way. We need to remember that nothing we have is actually ours. It all comes from God. And then we can begin giving with generosity and the right motivation. Secondly, we need to be more concerned with God than ourselves. We saw this earlier on. This kind of underlies this whole principle. We need to be more concerned with, with God than ourselves. We're generally far too concerned with ourselves. And so we think, well, I'll earn a wee bit more money and then I'll start giving. Or... Um, I'll pay all my bills and then I'll give to that person in need. Or when I, when I get a better job, then it'll be time for me to give more and I'll be able to give more so it'll be better. But actually what we need to do is if we reorder our thinking, we give God the first fruits, not the leftovers. We don't, we don't, we don't, give, we don't give God the scraps from our table. No, we bring him the, 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 the first of our harvest. And we don't just give when we've got lots of money, right? So some of you are young and starting out in your career. Some of you don't even have, you don't even have a career yet. And, but this is a principle you need to put in place now because trust me, you can, you can trust me. I was going to say you can take this to the bank. <laughs> you can trust me on this. The longer you wait to put this principle into practice, the harder it gets. Trust me on that from personal experience. And some of you being generous, maybe it means you can give hundreds of pounds or maybe even thousands of pounds. Please, God. Um, that's a joke. Not a joke. Actually, I do pray for that. But also, but, but some of you, most of us, it means being able to give a few quid. And guess what? That's okay. That's not important. What's important to Jesus is your motivation and your heart because giving generously is the most tangible way of expressing uh, that God has supremacy in your life. Okay, so thirdly then, we need to, uh, well, I'll just recap those first two. So we need to remember that nothing we have belongs to us. It all comes from God. And then secondly, we need to be more concerned with God than we are with ourselves. And then thirdly, we need to remember that God is our Father. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 4. He says, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now remember our principle, I've said this before, um, when, a good principle when you're reading the Bible is if there's a word or theme that is repeated a bunch of times in the same place, then you need to pay attention to it because chances are whoever said those words or wrote those words are trying to get a point across about that. And in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, these 18 verses or yeah, in chapter, I think, these 18 verses, um, the word father, the theme of father is mentioned eight times. Jesus says father, father, father. He's making a point. And notice that he doesn't say the father or, or my father or our father. The only time he says our father is um, in the Lord's prayer. And, and then he's, uh, that's like our example prayer. But he says your father, 
Your father, verse 1. Your father, verse 4. Your father, the whole way down through that. God is making the, or Jesus is making the point that God is our father, right? He wants us to see that God is our father. And this is so important in our given and in every area of our Christian lives. God isn't just some like, he didn't just create the world and become like some distant, aloof kind of, you know, Greek style deity that lives in a way up there and has nothing to do with it. No, he's investing in our lives. In fact, he's our father. He's our dad. Romans 8. Romans 8 says, uh, 15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When we become Christians, we become God's children. We're, we're, we're adopted in his family. So you've probably heard people explaining this before. That word Abba is like when a child says, Daddy. Uh, Tim Keller says, that's not even close enough. What it's actually more like, it's more basic than that. It's actually like when a baby says, Dada. It's the first words that, that a kid says when they recognize that, that they belong to you and you belong to them. Isn't that beautiful? It's this basic need this is the spirit that we have within us. Dada, I need you. I don't know much, but I know that I belong to you and that you belong to me. You're mine and I'm yours. And this is the way that we cry out to God. And this is the way we need to think about not just our giving, as Jesus is doing in this example, but, but right throughout this section about our, in our devotion to God. We need to remember that he is our father. Our, our devotion to God is based on the fact that he is our father, that he is our dada. And I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be, uh, yeah, I'm gleb or make a joke. That, I mean, that's genuine. This is what the, this is what the Bible says, this is what the, the Hebrew says. Dada. It's this deep connection that we have with him that, that we can't explain. But it means just complete and utter dependency on him. Dada. Nice. Thanks, Willow. Good illustration there. Perfect. And you know what else? You know what else is cool about this? I had this realization this morning. If God is our father, then Jesus is our brother. <laughs> and that's true. And actually, when you look at this theme of Jesus our brother, the Bible's full of it. Hebrews 2 tells us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Jesus actually owns us as his brothers and sisters. Isn't that incredible? And so Jesus isn't like there with some big stick to beat us with whenever we mess up or we give with the wrong motivation or whatever, we show off. No, he's our brother, and, and, and we're part of the same fa family, and so he, he, like, he defends us. When someone slags us off, he defends us. When <coughs> he guides us and leads us, he actually prays for us. Like a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection. Forty days later after that, Jesus ascended into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And do you know what he's doing there right now? He's interceding for us. That means he's, he's just pleading for us. He's praying for us. Jesus is on our side. And can I, can I just say this, and I may be slightly off point, but maybe not. If you're, if you're struggling with feeling like you're not a very good Christian, uh, you need to know that. You need to know that Jesus is your biggest cheerleader. Okay? And you maybe think, I can't do this. I'm messing up all the time. Jesus is your biggest cheerleader. Jesus is pleading for you. Jesus is on your side. Because he's your brother. And finally then, in all of this, because God is our father, because Jesus is our brother, we need to remember the gospel. 
Everything comes back to the gospel, doesn't it? This isn't just something you, you stick out onto the end of the sermon. This is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. When we need to look at giving and we need to look at our devotion to God in every area of our lives through this lens of the gospel, right? Because what is the gospel if it's not a message of generosity? We had nothing. Literally nothing. We had nothing. And Jesus gave us everything. He literally gave everything of himself. The Bible says that he emptied himself. 2 Corinthians 8 says this, for you know that for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What does that mean? It means that Christ became poor so that you could be rich. Isn't that just class? There was absolutely nothing that we could offer that would buy us salvation. Uh, the Bible describes, sometimes describes it as like we owed a debt. There was a debt that we could never pay. We were like a, like a imagine, like we're, like, we're just like a homeless person in the street who has no money, no job, no, no possessions, and we owe the bank a billion pounds. It would just be impossible to ever think that we could ever pay it off. But Jesus paid it all, right? And in order to pay our debt, it cost him everything, absolutely everything. That's what sacrificial generosity looks like. That's our motivation. That's our example. He gave, up his, he gave up his right to a throne in heaven. And he took on human nature and he sacrificed himself on a cross. People didn't put Jesus to death. Have you ever read that? Notice that. He gave up his spirit. He didn't fight going to the cross. He went there. The Bible tells us that he went there gladly for the joy that was set before him. He sacrificed himself on the cross so that we could be rich. And I, I promise I'm done now. When we look at it this way, when we start to see our, our giving and our prayer life, our, our serving the church, our serving the poor, our, whatever, all these things that we do, that I remember our, our phrase that when we start to see the things that we do because we're a Christian, when we start to see it in light of the gospel, through the lens of the gospel, it changes everything. Because when we look at even our very, very best efforts in the light of the cross, it just seems foolish that we would ever think that we have anything to boast about, doesn't it? Oh, well, you know, I um, gave some money to a homeless person and I helped an old lady across the street and I shared the gospel with my friends at the pub. <laughs> so what? I don't mean so what. Those things are good to do, but, but don't boast in those things. When we see our lives in the shadow of the cross, uh, all of a sudden, what people think about us doesn't matter so much. And when other people's opinions don't matter, uh, then we're free. We're free to devote our lives to God no matter who is looking. We're free to give in secret without the needing to share that because the only opinion that matters is our fathers, who we love, who we cry dada to. And you know what? And this is, I promise you my very last thought. It's so good. You can study this for years and years and years, and we probably will. Uh, Jesus says that, that what nobody else sees, God sees. Isn't that cool? What nobody else sees, God sees. He says, he says uh, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So 
It doesn't matter who sees us because God sees us. It doesn't matter if, if you feel like uh, you're just on your own all the time working away to serve God. It doesn't matter because God sees you and he will reward you. And you know what? Human praise and when people think that we're doing a good job, that stuff lasts for like a minute. People are fickle. They'll move on to thinking someone else is great pretty soon. But our heavenly reward is an eternity in the presence of God. So why would we ever throw that away? Let's pray.